I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I encourage you to read along with me. If you're using uh, the Bible in the seat in front of you, uh, it'll be on page 977. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Appreciate you reading that text for us. Uh, I do encourage you to have your copy or a copy of God's Word open uh, to Ephesians 3. Um, we are going to be uh, looking at this text and then uh, maybe some others as well. I'd appreciate your prayers. Uh, this evening I will be up in Plover, Wisconsin, uh, speaking at a conference, uh, Church History. Uh, I have a session tonight and a session tomorrow that I'm doing. Uh, this is our state association, WARBC, that uh, I will be at, so I appreciate some prayers for that, and um, looking forward to uh, talking about why church history is important, and uh, looking at uh, uh, one of the, the ladies of the Reformation uh, tomorrow, so I appreciate your prayers uh, for that. On the surface, some problems that we have um, or some concepts, maybe they seem easy or simple until we start uh, interacting with it a little bit. So we have a car here. How does a car work? It's pretty simple. Push the gas pedal. Pedal on the right. It goes, right? Well, yes and no. When you start going into all the different things that go into that one action uh, to make a car go or make a car stop, or even you just take one of the components of it, the braking system or something, you recognize it gets complicated real fast. Um, or maybe there's sometimes, maybe you've been uh, around the house and there's like a simple project that uh, you need to do, and you're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, it'd be nice if we, uh, if we painted that. And then you start painting the wall, and you realize, well, you know what, there's some, there's some holes in here, so we've got to start filling this in. And then, well, you know what, this color doesn't really go with this. And next thing you know, 
you know, your house looks like this, okay? <laughs> All right? You know, you went from painting a wall to a new addition and everything like this. It just sometimes once you get into a problem or something like that or a project, it seems simple on the surface, but then as you get into it, it gets more and more complex. And, you know, Paul is discussing one of those topics right here in this text, but a very positive one. And it's just something that is simple, but yet it is very, very complex. It's, it's the church. It's the message of salvation. And this is what he's talking about. To give a little bit of background here, um, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. This is the reason why in verse 13 when he said, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, he's referring to the fact that he was in prison, uh, in prison for the gospel's sake. So he's in prison. He's, he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And you can read some of the backstory of it in, in the book of Acts of how the church started. Um, but, uh, but Paul here, he has this love for the church of Ephesus, but he's encouraging them, he's teaching them, and he's talking about the importance of the church here. But you may have picked up that uh, when Austin read our text, uh, there was, uh, at least by my count, four times the word mystery was in there. Maybe you picked up on that. Uh, how he said there's a mystery here. And, and, and Paul often employs this term in his writings, in his epistles, in his letters, uh, to, to show something that was previously unknown but now has been made known. So what he's doing is he's saying beforehand people didn't really know about this, but now because of what Christ has done, now because of Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection, things have come to light here. And Paul was one of the primary voices to broadcast this mystery here. And so what is this mystery? Verse 6, this is what I love about this, he tells us what the mystery is. Okay, And so Paul is the king of spoiler alerts apparently here. And so in verse 6 he says, here's the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Now, fellow heirs with who? Well, with, the, with Israel, okay? And so that's what he's talked about in chapter 2. We didn't take time to read it, but in chapter 2, he's explained how now that there is no longer a wall that's dividing, that there's really one group of people. The book of Galatians is about this as well. And we see this in Paul's writings where he's explaining that because of what Christ did on the cross, now there's no longer two people. There's only one people, the people of God is what he's saying here. He says they're fellow heirs. Uh, he goes, they're members of the same body. Uh, they're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying here, listen, for, for those of you who think that God was only going to work a plan with a certain group of people, now what he's done, there's a new covenant here. And this new covenant here is about all people. The Gentiles, that's basically anyone who wasn't of Israel, the Gentiles, they are now able to be part of this covenantal family as well. So it's a beautiful thing. Before it was a mystery, but now it's being made known in Paul's explains this mystery. And so what Paul's job is in verse 8 and 9, as you can see in the text here, he says, to me though, I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to do what? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so his, his job is to preach. And then verse 9, he talks about to bring to light for everyone that is the plan, the mystery hidden. So he says, here's my job. My job is to preach to this group of people called the Gentiles. My job is then to bring this light. This is why I'm writing this. So everyone would see, here is what God is doing here. And he says, for what purpose? And this is all introduction to what we're going to really talk about today. He says this for the purpose. He says, so that, I'm in verse 10. 
so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And so, there's a cosmic audience here. When he talks about the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, he has angelic hosts in mind. He says, really, in the, entire, in the entirety of all creation, it's going to be on display. God's wisdom is going to be on display. And how so? Primarily through the church. Our series that we're going through is about recovering relationships. And we've talked about friends, we've talked about marriage, we've talked about parenting, we've talked about work relationships and mentoring. And we're culminating because we're ending this series, and we're going to start a new series next week. We're, we're starting this, uh, this new series, or I mean, we're ending this series here with um, uh, talking about the church here. Because this is what we need to recover the relationship with the most. And that is understanding the purpose of the church. Understanding why we're here. And so, how is the church really exhibit A, or the chief illustration to all of creation concerning the wisdom of God. That's what we're going to look at here in just a few minutes. And remember, when Peter wrote, he said this idea of salvation, this idea of what Jesus has accomplished, angels desire to look into. Do you remember that in 1 Peter 1? You know, these are things that the angels are curious about because salvation is not something that was offered to them, but it is offered to the church, and the wisdom of God has been manifest. So that's where we're going today. I mentioned a minute ago that we're going to be starting a new series uh, next week, and it's on Lamentations. Now, I sent my weekly email out really late last night and just sent it out, and my wife quickly informed me that my new sermon series next week is going to be on laminating, okay? (laughs) You didn't know I was an expert on the lamination machine, did you? Okay, so five weeks about how to laminate things, apparently. No, that was a typo, lamentations. Let's pray. Father, we're going to dive into this series or this, this sermon here now, and we, we dare not really spend much time reading your word and, and talking about it unless we've asked you for guidance. We've sung songs to you in this service already. We've read the word, and it's been a wonderful time so far. And now I have the, the honor, I have the privilege, I have the joy of standing here and teaching from this text. God, I pray that I would do so in a way that is um, faithful to the text of Scripture and that would be honoring to you and that would be helpful for all of us who are gathered here today. And so thank you for the work that you've done in my heart as I've been preparing for this about, you know, how wonderful this is. But I pray that we would have a renewed sense of awe of you and your wisdom um, as a result of spending time together today. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So how is the church exhibit A, or the chief illustration of all of creation concerning the wisdom of God? I'm going to break this up into three main points. First is this. God's wisdom is on display because there's a salvation plan that is even remotely possible. He came up with a plan that is actually something that could work, Okay. And you think this is one of those things where on the surface you're like, well, of course. It's pretty simple. Actually, when we start to look at the problem that sin created, it's actually much more complex than we think. Let me explain to you. See, Paul's main point here is that salvation is possible in Christ, even to those to whom people thought it would not be possible, i.e. the Gentiles. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, 
There's, they're, they're part of this. There's fellow heirs. And this is the mystery that I proclaim to you. And this is what the angels, they're going to see. This is going to be exhibit A of, of God's wisdom that's on display here. Because salvation is for people that even some who thought wasn't possible. I, I remember talking to someone once who said, and I've, I've had this conversation with more than one person over the years, who basically said, God, I can't be a Christian. I can't, God can't save me. I've, I've sinned too much or I'm not worthy or, or some type of thought along that line. There are people that maybe there's someone who's gathered here today or someone who's watching online that says, you know, I, I, I wish that I could have forgiveness. I wish that I could have salvation, but I can't. It's just not for me or it's not available to me. And my friend, this text here contradicts that feeling that you have. Your feeling may be real, but it's just not true, Okay. I'll affirm the feeling, but I won't affirm the veracity of it. And here we have what Paul is saying that it, this is the mystery that's now being known is that there's salvation to people whom the other people thought was not possible. And here's the idea when we think about something like the idea of salvation, I, I, I think that we get very common with it and, and we lose the awe of it. And my, my hope is that as so I spend a few minutes talking about it now, we, we'll recapture some of that awe. You know, when we become very familiar with something, we tend to lose the wonder of it. You know, I remember uh, my parents first describing long-distance phone calls to me. My uncle would call from Florida, and they would say, Jeremy, he wants to say hi. Be real quick because it's long-distance. Remember that? Some of you remember that, okay? You know, Spend 20 minutes saying I miss you and spend only $3.84. You know, I remember when I went to college, it was I looked around for phone cards for long distance cards so I could call home, and then it was, you know, 10 cents a minute long distance. You remember these? Remember these deals? The wonder of long distance communication. How is it? How is it that I could be literally on one side of the world and talk to someone else on the other side of the world and have almost no lag? in the conversation. How is that possible? How is it possible that I can drive down the road and have a phone conversation with a hands-free unit, of course, and have a phone conversation with someone in real time while I'm driving and then they're driving? How is that possible? I mean, I remember watching the Jetsons when I was a kid and just thinking, this is amazing, and I'm living in it right now. You know, the kids that are growing up today, they have no idea, right? You know, you know the, the, the youngest kids, are there, I mean, they've only known iPhones and things. They have no idea the wonder of this. This is amazing to me. And I remember being blown away by wireless printing. You mean I can sit on my couch and print something in the other room without having a 65-foot cord? I, how is this possible? How does the data fly? I've often thought if we could just like see all the radio waves and all the, the, the things that are flying around this room right now, can you imagine what we would see? Can you imagine what we couldn't see? I mean, it would just be amazing. How, how is this possible? A couple more. Um, I, I, these huge jets, I fly across the ocean and you fly. How do they stay up in the air? How do they do it? Or, or the big ships, look how big that ship is. How does it float? 
Now, some of you, you science people, you're right now answering the question in your mind. Oh, that works. I get it. Okay, just, just, just get the point. Okay, you know the point here. Okay, I know that there's aerodynamics and there's buoyancy and all that stuff and everything. I don't get it, but I just know it exists. But just think about it, though. Isn't that a wonder that this is even possible? You know, I think salvation is this way. We get so used to hearing about it. We get so used to uh, experiencing it even that we've lost the awe or the amazement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your sins can be forgiven. And in some case, here, your sins are forgiven, okay? I mean, that, that is an amazing concept, but yet it's something that you know, if you've grown up in church or, or you've been a part of this for a long time, it's easy just to think, okay, yeah, 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 well, my sins are forgiven. Yeah, that's good. Okay, wait, wait a minute here. Wait a minute here. This, this is amazing things here. This was a mystery in some way that has been revealed that now we have this access to the Father. We can have peace with God, even though I'm a sinner. It's an amazing concept here. And really, really, God's uh, 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 redemptive plan is really the masterpiece of wisdom, okay? That's what Paul's point is here. He says, he says here, that through the church, the manifold, in verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is actually the fact that we can have salvation is a masterful uh, piece of wisdom that is on display for us. And it's primarily on display in the church here. And so you get to be part of this. This is an amazing thing. Let me walk through this a little bit here. First of all, God had promised, this is why it's so amazing, God had promised back in Genesis, he says that they would die if they ate of the forbidden fruit. Maybe you remember that story, right? And so it says, don't eat of the fruit. You can eat of anything, just this one thing, don't eat of it. And the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. When were they supposed to die? In the day that they ate of it, okay? That was it. That was the plan. You don't eat. You live, and we have a great fellowship, it's a great creation, and this wonderful uh, paradise that I've created, but you eat of that one thing, and then it's all lost, you die. That was the deal. And they ate. But did they die that day? No. So wait a minute here. God, is he not keeping his word? How is it that God, a, a, a holy God, could deal with this problem? It's not something that he could just say, okay, let's try again here. Because there's some things, as we will see in a minute here, God had to punish the sin or his trustworthiness would be compromised. Okay? He had to deal with this because he cannot lie. It says in Titus chapter 1, it says God cannot lie. So if God said that they would die, that the punishment of this sin was death, but yet that isn't enacted, then he's lying. So how is it that we can have the salvation that's possible to us, and yet God is not a liar, and that we can still trust him? Well, what makes this even harder is that it's very clear in the Scriptures that humanity cannot earn salvation. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to earn salvation. How many of you have ever read the book of Leviticus? Raise your hand. Leviticus, Leviticus, okay. Great reading, Okay. Right? I mean, that's actually some hard reading at times. There's a lot of laws and things like that. And sometimes people ask me the point. They say, okay, Jeremy, what's the point of this? What's, I'll tell you one of the main points of the book of Leviticus. It's really to show how holy God is. Okay? 
when you have to come up with all these laws and all these things, like, okay, in order to be purified, in order to even come into the remote presence of God, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and there's got to be cleansing, and there's got to be this, and only then, certain times of the year and all this. What that's highlighting is the vast difference between God and man. That's what it's highlighting. It's showing it over and over and over again because God is holy, God is righteous, God is perfect, God is just. All these things, and man is not. And so we have these laws of Leviticus that just show how holy God is, and then it also shows the terrible nature of sin. That's what it shows. What sin did to the relationship between humanity and God. Okay? So both God's holiness and sin's wretchedness are far greater than what we often think. And this is also illustrated that humanity can't earn salvation in the story of Israel. In the, in the Old Testament, we have Israel being formed through Abraham. And remember, God made a nation out of Abraham. And so we have this, and then he was going to rule as a theocracy. Then later on, they want a king, and so he gives them a king. And then we see the story of, of, of God working with his people. But what do we have over and over and over again? We have Israel failing, repenting, being restored, failing, repenting, being restored, failing. I mean, it's over and over again. We have prophets that are out there just begging them to return and to come back. We have this over and over again. Everyone ever read the book of Judges? The book of Judges? Okay, put your hands down. Judges is a hard book to read. There's some stories in there that they talk about some things that they don't make it on, on in the kids' Sunday school curriculum, okay? All right? There's some things in there that's like, wait a minute here. This is in the Bible? Why is this in the Bible? I'll tell you why it's in the Bible. Because what it's doing is it's showing this march downward and downward and downward that the people of God kept doing they would get a good judge, a good ruler, they'd do okay, and then they would f- fall away. They'd get a bad one. You went back and forth, and it would just go worse and worse and worse until here's what happened. They got so bad that you couldn't distinguish them from the neighboring heathen countries. That's the point of judges. Sin will just keep taking you and taking you and taking you, and it causes this terrible you know, uh, effect on you. And it shows that humans by themselves cannot earn their way to salvation. It's impossible. It's impossible. So here's this redemptive plan that's on prayer. Okay, so man is saved. That's great. That's awesome. We have forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful. But let's think about how complex of a problem this is. God has to, he's promised that something would happen. Humanity can't do it on their own. And then thirdly, God's attributes cannot contradict each other. I've already alluded to this a little bit here. So how can God be both loving but also hate sin at the same time? How can God be both merciful but maintain his justice? Because if he's just merciful in the fact that he just says, okay, we're just going to pretend that this doesn't happen. I was golfing with a friend recently. Uh, it was a guy who read scripture, Paul. We went out golfing. Part three course because that's all I can handle. Okay? Went out there and we get to a hole that for some reason I can never aim at the right flag. And so we get there, and he's like, let's try this again. And so, so I, I hit the ball, and it was the worst shot that I've ever hit in my life. I think it went three yards, you know, a whole three yards. And Paul, very gracious, stifling a smile, a laugh, said, we'll give you a mulligan, okay? How grateful. Yeah, so great, you know? So 
That's what he did. So I did it over here. What is that? It's like, well, let's try it again. Well, God can't do that with us. He can't just pretend that the sin didn't happen because sin has an effect. Sin has a terrible effect. So God can't just pretend, okay, this didn't happen. God's both merciful. How can he be both merciful and just? How can God be forgiving but also holy at the same time? How can he say, okay, we're not going to deal with this, but yet he maintains his holiness? Don't you see there's, there's, there's a problem here? This problem is much more complex than we might think. Because if God just says, let's just pretend this didn't happen, well, now we have other parts of his attributes that, that demand to be satisfied, that demand to, to be there, namely his justice and his holiness, his trustworthiness, his word, the fact that he doesn't lie. How does all that maintain, but yet we can still have forgiveness of sins? How is this possible? So there really had to be a substitute. So here's the masterful wisdom of God on display that is in the exhibit A is in the church of that, that man can be saved, but it had to be not by himself. Punishment had to be done, and it had to be done in such a way that, that God's uh, attributes aren't compromised, but it couldn't be something that, that human could do on their own because there's just inability and sin had such a terrible effect on it. So it had to be a substitute. So like, okay, there we go. There's the answer. Simple. But yet, wait a minute here. Even in this scenario, there's complexities to this. This substitute had to be a human. Okay? Had to be human because it was a human who sinned. So God couldn't send an angel, right? God couldn't create someone else or some other being. It had to be a human. Okay? Now, but the problem is, is that this human substitute had to be sinless. Okay? Because a sinner standing in the place of another sinner does not satisfy God's holiness, his justice, or his wrath. So now we have, okay, it has to be human, but it has to be a sinless human. Okay? But it also had to be someone whose obedience would have been honored. So someone who obeyed the law perfectly and didn't sin. So it's not just that he didn't sin, but he obeyed everything. How is that possible? And then it had to be someone who actually took on the suffering of the punishment. Because back in the first point, God told him that there was punishment that would happen. So God had to mete out punishment for that because of its justice. So it had to be someone who was willing to take punishment for sin, but it had to be a human who was sinless and who perfectly obeyed. Don't you see how complex this is? And so the solution, don't you see, the only possible solution, there's only one possible solution to this. And that is, God the Son took on human nature to obey God's law, which was broken by humanity. This is the masterful wisdom of God that angels are amazed by. And how dare we just treat it? Oh yeah, of course. Of course God forgave me. Of course he did. You see... God the Son, the perfect substitute, he had to endure suffering and the penalty of sin to satisfy law's demands. You see, there is no other possible solution, and no human could have conceived it. So this is this masterful wisdom of God that Paul talks about to the Ephesians here. And yet, it's too easy for us to take God's salvation plan for granted when this was the only possible scenario and no human would have ever conceived of it. It's a masterpiece of wisdom. So, get this. You don't just attend a church service. We are to gather to manifest God's wisdom. That's why we're here. It's not just, it's a good habit. It's a good thing to do. 
We are exhibit A of God's wisdom, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It's amazing. But yet, it's not only just that. God's wisdom is also not even a salvation plan that is just even remotely possible, but it's also one that actually transforms people. Because here's the deal. It's not just, okay, we'll get you the sin problem taken care of, and then we're the same. No, God has the masterful wisdom of what he does is now that this salvation plans is it actually transforms people. Look at verse 12. It says, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have boldness. Sin, one thing sin does is we can sin boldly, but when we're in the face of God Almighty, no one stands and no one is bold. But yet if we're forgiven... We can be bold. We can boldly approach the throne of grace where we may find help in time of need according to the book of Hebrews. That's the masterful wisdom of God. That we have that. It's transforming us. That it's changing our lives. It's changing who we are. In verse 13, he talks about suffering there. We can accept suffering. How was, how was Paul able to, to deal with the difficulties of life the way he was? It was because the gospel transformed him. It was because God's salvation plan had made him a new person. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things have become new, Paul wrote to the Romans. You see, over and over again in this book here, we see how the gospel transforms people here. Uh, if, if we were to look in, in chapter 4 here, in verse 11, it talks about he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, building up, transforming, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ here. It says that we be no longer like children tossed to and fro, carried about every wind of doctrine. Can't you see? This is transformation here. This is what he's saying here. He's saying that when someone is a believer in Christ and they are part of the church, exhibit A of God's masterful wisdom, there's a transforming effect here. It should be. I could go on and on in chapter 4, verses 17. It talks about a new life. And and, uh, uh, we have so many other things that we can talk about here. But in chapter 5, He's talking about uh, a walking in love. And he talks about how it affects really every relationship. And, and at the end of chapter 5 of marriage and parenting and, and household relationships and children and all these type of things, it's all in there. And then he ends the book with saying that we are actually able to resist the devil through the armor of God. And how is that possible? It's because the gospel has a transforming effect. And the church should be the one where that, the spotlight is on, not for our glory, because it's not our own doing. It's God working through us, and we're obedient to the Scriptures, and we're obeying Christ, but it is God's masterful plan that is on display here, and the angels are just amazed by it, and yet, we're not too many times, right? Too many times, we're not amazed by it. You know why I think the angels are so amazed by it? It's because they didn't get a chance at salvation. Second Peter talks about it. Jude talks about that. They didn't get a chance for that, but they're amazed by this. They get to see the wisdom of God and the gospel that transforms people is showcased in the church. This should be a community of people that we are constantly changing and growing, becoming more like Christ. And one of the reasons is because we're pushing each other, we're shaping each other, and we're helping each other to be more like Christ. That's the reason why the church exists. That's the reason why it is so important. 
And so we don't just go to church, you actually are the church. And here's the thing is, as I've mentioned before, you are the representation of God's wisdom to a cosmic audience. If you're part of a church, that is. Let's not take that for granted. Let's not take that as something that's like, okay, sure, that's fine, of course. Or I don't know if that's a priority this week. When we gather, this is something to a cosmic audience where people say, where where the, the angels are amazed at God's incredible wisdom. And there's one other point here is this. You know, God's wisdom about the salvation plan is that it's so wise that it is a plan that is good for both man's humanity or, or humanity, but also for God's good. It, it's both. It's, it's for God's good and for man's good. Man's, God's glory, man's good. It's for both. One's not sacrificed for the other. God doesn't have to sacrifice because of his extraordinarily wise plan here. This mystery that was revealed uh, uh, by the Apostle Paul here because of what Christ did here, it says that this is not something that where God has to sacrifice his glory for man's good, or man's good doesn't have to be sacrificed because of God's glory. God's grace is on display here. We see this in verse 2 of chapter 3 where it says that, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. And in verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. God's grace was on display. But then there's also this eternal purpose here in verse 11 here. It says, this was according to eternal purpose. You see, salvation is for God's glory and not only just for our good. It's both. This is why it's such an amazing plan that God has come up with is that he didn't have to sacrifice his glory for our good and our good didn't have to be sacrificed for God's glory. Colossians chapter 2 says this. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, canceling the debt, canceling the debt because of what Christ did on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 says, it says this, it says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's glory, man's good, together, right here. And then how, do we, why, how can we not respond like Paul did in Romans 11? Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. God's glory. Man's good. The manifold wisdom of God, angels look down and say, this is an amazing thing, and they glorify God in heaven. And you and I, as part of the church, get to be this exhibit A. Not because of our worth, because of what Christ has done for us. Now he's transforming us, and he's causing us to grow in him. And any obedience that we have in him is, is, is we're, we're, we're responding to him, and it's just a wonderful thing to see. And so only God 
could come up with a redemptive plan that is for man's good but does not sacrifice his own glory. So as I've said over and over again, being part of a church is not just a good idea, although it is. It's the chief way that God shows his wisdom. And so we recover the relationship we have with church when we understand the significance of it. It's not just a good habit. This is a way for God to say, I want this on display for the whole cosmos to see my wisdom in this. And so by summary... Here's God's wisdom on display. That there's a salvation plan that's even possible. It's a salvation plan that transforms people. And it's for humanity's good and it also gives God's glory. But let me tell you how the church displays wisdom. It displays wisdom when the gospel not only saves someone but transforms them. When we see people growing in Christ here, we see people baptized, we see people saved, we see people, marriages being restored, we see addictions being conquered, This is the glory of God on display here when the gospel changes people. When unity in the church is prioritized and realized, that's when angels are saying, this is amazing. When we sing with joy, we're told to sing together. When we sing with joy, the angels are amazed. You see, angels, there's not a lot that we know about them, actually. The Bible doesn't really say a whole lot about them. One thing we do know is they have emotions. How do I know? Is because there, there it says that when one sinner repents, there's joy in the presence of God. And angels, there's this joy. And so we see that when we sing with joy, this is an opportunity for angels to see God's wisdom on display. When we reach out to the lost, when we carry each other's burdens, when the gospel shapes our singleness, our marriages, our parenting, our working relationships, our friendships, and our mentoring relationships, this is how... God's wisdom is on display. And we get to be part of that when we gather together. We get to be a part of that, a piece of that. So angels are looking in right now and they're saying, God is amazing by what he's doing in our lives and he's done for us and he's doing through us. So here's three main takeaways and then then we'll, we'll move to the table. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, my prayer is that You are in awe of God's wise salvation plan, and then you live out the gospel, letting it affect every corner of your life. This is a prayer for my soul, a prayer for your soul. If you're a Christ follower, we should, A, first just be amazed what God has done. Amazed. This is an amazing plan that God has come up with, and because of such, it should change and transform every area of my life and affect every area of my life. We should also be reminded that being part of a church isn't just a decent habit. It's the crucial way to manifest the wisdom of God to a cosmic audience. And so, that's what you get to be part of. So we don't feel it coming. We don't feel it gathering. Because there's times all of us don't. Just remember, why is it that we gather? In part, there's other reasons, but in part, it's to to show, to manifest, or to, to, to display the incredible wisdom of God. And give him glory by gathering together, by singing, sharing each other's burdens, being together. It's an amazing thing. So you don't have to write a book, okay? You just have to let the gospel shape your marriage, okay? You, you, you don't have to advance in your company to a certain level. Just let the gospel affect your work ethic. You don't have to be a world-recognized musician, Just let the gospel so fill your soul that you can't help but sing when we gather together. You don't have to have advanced degrees 
Just love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You don't have to be admired by thousands. Just care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we show the wonderful wisdom of God to a cosmic audience. And then there's one other takeaway here. If you're not a Christ follower, today's the day. Okay? The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Today is today's salvation. And so if, if you're someone here, you said, I don't think I have that salvation that you're talking about here. I've got great news for you. You can. You can. The Bible makes it very clear. He says, listen, if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. So we confess with our mouths. The word there means to say the same thing as so we agree with God about our sin. We agree with God about who Jesus is. We agree with God about that he's the only way for salvation. Okay? We agree with God. We confess with our mouths. And that's a continual thing that we, we keep doing. Okay? We're going to c- continually confess at the table. But we do so often the first time that people do it publicly is in the waters of baptism. Baptism doesn't save people, but it's a, it's a public testimony of that. Okay? And then we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus that God hath uh, raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Believe in our heart, okay? We confess our sins. The Bible says confess our sins. If we confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I know that plan of salvation. I don't know if I have my sins forgiven. The Bible makes it very clear. Repent of your sins. Tell God, I know my sin has affected me. I know that there's consequences to it. I want to be saved from that. I need your forgiveness. And I know that you're the only way. Please save me and, make, and just change my life. The Bible says, if you believe that, if you pray that, you've become a child of God. Today's the day of salvation. So if you're here today and you don't know, you can pray right now silently to the Lord in your seat. If you want to talk to me or someone afterwards, we would love to talk to you about it more. But these are the three main takeaways. That we get to be part of a church. We get to be amazed by God's salvation plan. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, don't leave today before getting that taken care of. Today is a day of salvation.